Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. After today, my friends, there are just three players left to reveal in the 50 most relevant. Number four today is Lockie Whitfield. you got MJ. Hope you're enjoying this 50 most relevant because we are almost done for 2021. To join me to talk about this GWS superstar and fantasy footy beast, I've got Kane from the coaches panel on. Hello, mate. How you doing? Very well, MJ. Lockie Whitfield. I knew he couldn't be far away. I didn't know if he'd quite get to the top, but you've slotted him in right at number four. Well, last year he was number one in the 50 most relevant, and certainly if you owned him last year, um, you would have been mostly, mostly happy with the season that he delivered for you. So, look, you know, it wasn't the best of years for him, but it certainly wasn't a shocker from that perspective. We'll deep dive into it in a moment. Just the 26 years old, he's moved around a little bit from a positional allocation from champion data. Just two years ago, defender. Last year, forward, back to defense for us in this year. And there are some pretty tasty scores for us across the formats to look at. His top AFL fantasy and dream team score was against the Adelaide Crows. It was a 122. While in Supercoach, not quite a career-high number, but still very, very high. Against the Dockers, it was a 167. If you do want to know what his career scores are, it's a 170 against the Blues in AFL fantasy back in 2019. While in that same game for Supercoach, also his career-high, a one. 90. He averaged 85.8 in Dream Team last year. That's adjusted up in AFL Fantasy, multiplying it by 1.25 to be a 107. And in Supercoach, he averaged a 104 across the year. I know, crazy to think we're talking about there's moments of the year that it was a down season from Lockie, and these are his seasonal averages. In Supercoach, he's priced just over 560k. He's 820k in AFL Fantasy, and only a few thousand dollars shy of the 800,000 marker. And there are plenty of people that loved Lockie Whitfield last year. Even though he had a little bit of a slower start, Kane, Pretty much from round four onwards, he was up there amongst the best scoring forwards available for the year. Oh, MJ, he was competing with midfielders, really, if we want to be honest. From round four onwards, he went at 94 unadjusted in DT, which is just shy of 118 points. Like, that's right up there with, you know, the best of the best that we had in the midfield. And, you know, your Olivers, your Steels, and we got this guy as a forward. Now, the big dampener was coaches that started Lockie Whitfield last year because of that concussion-impacted score in round three against the Bulldogs when he had 10 points in DT and eight points in Supercoach. So that clearly was a massive dampener, especially when you've started with him. Yeah. And on the flip side, when everyone else who didn't gets, gets an absolute no-brainer yeah. um, in the subsequent round. But he didn't miss a game, which no. is something that people have been critical of him in the past in his fantasy game is that he's not on the park as much as we'd like, as much as those other big dogs that when you're at number four on this list, you have to contend with. Sure. But when you're in a, when you're not in the midfield line, MJ, we can give it a bit of grace and say that this guy's scoring power can offset a lot of that injury concerns. And like I said, he still didn't miss a game last year. And from that point onwards, he was a legitimate option as a captaincy 
as a forward last year and now as a back this year. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Last year he ranked sixth in the league for total uncontested possessions, ninth for total marks, 15th for effective disposals, and 20th for just disposals in general. We talk about that season in totality. Last year it was an 85.8 in Dream Team and Fantasy. Adjusted up to that marker that we've already talked about just a few moments before, which is up at that 107.25. He had six pure tons last year and an additional five between 80 and 99. 80 was the ton uh, in DT and Fantasy last year, given the shortened quarters. So we've got 11 of his 17 games. That's including that injury-impacted game of the concussion. 11 of the 17, the equivalent of a ton. Supercoach, 10 tons last year, 5 over 120, and just the one score under 83 all year. And that is what? That injury-impacted game that you've already alluded to where it was in the opening minutes, hits a concussion, goes off for the concussion test, battles his way early in the second and clearly was having some lingering impacts and then pretty much benched straight away. And, and so there's one score that's under 83 in that format. That's incredibly high scoring floor to go with that strong scoring ceiling for us because if we take that injury-impacted game out, which again, Kane, there's dangers in doing that but when it's a guy that was so early on in the game you feel a little more understanding of doing it not a half-time injury or a quarter-time injury a guy that gets in terms of time on ground single figures like it's barely even there he's up at an adjusted average in dream team and fantasy of 113 that's much more reflective of what he did in his 16 games of 2019 or up at a 110 in super coach which again is comparable to what he did last year, where he averaged 111. And and so across two years of data now, we've seen this with Lockie Whitfield. High-scoring ceiling. Like his career scores came the year before with that 190 in Supercoach, 170 in Dream Team and Fantasy. From those 16 games, 11 tons in Dream Team and Fantasy last year, 13 in 2019. So we're seeing ceiling. We're seeing a guy that's got a high basement scoring floor barely dropping under 80, which as a midfielder is fine, but as a defender again this year is fantastic for us. And as you already mentioned, he can be a genuine captaincy option when he goes on a run because Lockie Whitfield is such a damaging footballer, isn't he? And you look at that GWS midfield unit, and while he's playing off half-back more often than not at the moment, do you try to shut him down as that kind of rebounding run and carry precision kicker or do you try to shut down a Kelly or a Canelio through the midfield that's the ultimate question mark that opposition coaches have against the Giants yeah well the thing about Lockie Whitfield's game MJ is that he's such a good runner yeah and he works so hard and he plays behind the ball that one often where he gets the ball is not a super damaging position it's a position where opposition um, teams invite people to get the ball and you know try to kick their way through it and conversely a running power, not many people can go with him. The, yeah. the other factor that is turning in Lockie Whitfield's favour is Zach Williams out. Yes. Aiden Core out, which people who listen to this podcast will know. Aiden Core had so many kickouts last year, much to our surprise. Yeah. That there's actually an opportunity for Lockie Whitfield to really lock down that role. Now, Heath Shaw's also out of the side. Yep. Isaac Cummings probably going to get an opportunity down there. Lockie Ash, both of those guys are more than capable at taking some kickouts as well. I wouldn't be shocked if they do get some opportunity there. But really, there's no doubt in my mind that a guy that's in the peak of his powers, yeah. an elite kick, and now we've got 
the man on the mark standing 15 metres back. Yeah. Like, it just show, tells me that we're already getting Lockie Whitfield at about five points value due to that injury yeah. last year, that concussion. So now you're going to tell me that there could be an opportunity for him to take one or two more kickouts a game and play on? Yeah. Like, now you can see why, you know, Jake Lloyd, who pretty much doesn't miss an opportunity in that regard, scores so well, and Lockie Whitfield might get that opportunity also. It's pretty scary, MJ, if that goes that way, especially with his ability to take an uncontested mm. mark and really link up and drive the ball from defence. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. And, and I think there's really two things about Lockie Whitfield that we need to make sure we talk about in this episode. One is very much around no one's questioning his scoring potential. Like, you look at what he's been able to do pretty much since coming back from that suspension a few years ago, which is why he missed a big chunk of games all the way back in the 2017 season. He, pretty much from that point on, He's been a genuine premium for us across all lines, and he has been available as a defender, a midfielder, a forward, and now back into defense for us. So I don't think anyone's going to ever question his scoring potential. There are two things that we need to talk about before we get to the injury, and that's one of them. Do people think GWS is going to get better, maintain, or regress even further on what they did last year? Because if you think the Giants can bounce back and win more games than not in 2021, then I think there's a real genuine case that Lockie Whitfield could be the number one scoring option in 2021. You've alluded a bunch of reasons of why that could be the case. But statistically last year, he averaged 9.7 points more per game in Dream Team and Fantasy. That's up to an adjusted 12 if you want to play that game. And he averaged 22.6 points more in wins in Supercoach last year. Now, is it causation or correlation that Whitfield scores better when they win or vice versa? You can be the judge. But if you think the Giants score better in terms of wins on the board and those new rules that you impacted, gosh, Kane, he's one of, I think, only two other blokes that could contend with Lloyd for the number one scoring mantle this year. Yeah, I will, I will say one thing, MJ. There is a big reason that differential is a bit exaggerated because that injury-affected concussion Correct. score did come in a loss. But yes. still, even if you took that out, it's still about 10 points differential um, in Supercoach. And obviously, we know the scores were adjusted last year in DT, so it's similar again. Um, I, I, personally, I see the Giants being about a 50-50 win-loss team. Yep. I think they've just got too much talent. And I think there was a few things last year that, you know, really worked against them. Let's not forget that they absolutely towed up the Cats in round one. Yeah. And then there was some there was some things being raised that maybe some players in the side didn't treat that break between round one and round two as seriously as maybe some other clubs. Sure. Um, but I think the fact that we can't forget is that you went back to that 2019 season, MJ, and really those numbers had him contending being the number one player in mm-hmm. the competition. Yeah. There was, again, the, we know the Swans game was a poor score as he got a massive knock and just battled out on the ground. Yeah. The Suns put a little bit of time into him in that game, yet still managed you know, score in the 70s, which when everything else is, you know, every other game was almost 130 plus or 100 plus alternating every week. Like what you said there is perfect. He is one of the only guys that can not only challenge Jake Lloyd, mm. but at the end of the season, if you said, Lockie Whitfield should have been the number one pick in draft because, you know, he was the number one back. 
and across all the lines, his value was worth more than other people's, I wouldn't be shocked because no. that's how good his scoring can be. Finally, we have a player that we want as a premium that's not in the round 14 buy. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that can be understated, not when I am so confident that he's a top six back. And you're factoring in, like we said before, there's value due to the concussion. You cannot understate even just five points of upside when you're already in the top six. Like yeah. that is so, so crucial. And I know this has been a mantra of mine throughout all of these top 50 is I'm always going to go with the guy that can take it away from me yeah. as opposed to the guy that I think is just a steady Eddie. You know, he'll get, he'll get his, you know, hundred ish. He'll be in that range for his line. When you've got a guy like Whitfield that could be the guy, yeah. not just a guy but in the defense, one. but the guy, I'd rather have him in my team. And, you know, if he starts a bit slow, he's going to be there the whole season as opposed to I'll let him go. And in three or four rounds, I could be absolutely scrambling to restructure my side to bring him in. Well, that's the thing. You look at some of those 2020 scoring runs of what he did just in Supercoach. This is just a middle portion of the year. 111, 102, 116, 148, 131. That same stretch of time um, in Dream Team and Fantasy, 108. Again, these aren't adjusted scores. 84, 99, 119, 90. So these are all, you know, 110, 120, 130, 150 scores, if you include the 119 in Dream Team and Fantasy. So he's that guy that if he starts hot, yeah, he will take it away from you. The reason people are a little cagey on on Lockie Whitfield is there's been a mounting trend over the past few years, and again, it's a current one, of just these odd injuries popping up. It's not like it's a continual hamstring injury or it's a, a groin injury that's popping up or issues always with a shoulder. It, it's unique things that mean... I don't think you can say he's injury-prone, but they're odd that they just keep stacking up. In the past 18 months or so, um, he's injured his thigh, he's had appendicitis, He's required surgery on his collarbone. He got concussed in a game last year, which, again, if that would have happened this year, he would certainly miss one, potentially two games from it. And then right now, just randomly out of nowhere, suffered a bruised liver at training. And just in the past 48 hours, according to the club, there's still no certain return date from it, which means we've got no guarantees he's going to play an intra-club the Amy Community Series. And while it is still around about a month away, it's always dangerous and concerning for coaches heading into round one that there's an injury cloud over a player we're thinking about in our starting squad. Yeah, that this is the one thing, MJ, that I think has had people um, revisiting their backline structure, I'll say. Because yeah. you just don't really know. Like They're saying that he's not going to have any issues running. Obviously, he's not sure. going to take any contact. With that, but it's such a unique injury that you know how many livers have we seen you know on the on the injury list in a year? You know, probably less than less than one. So um, it's a very lucky Whitfield injury, isn't it? Just something that no one else had, and now we're left wondering how it's going to impact him. And I think the main concern is if he cops a massive knock yeah. in round one, two, three, or four, or anywhere in that early part of the season. You know what's going to happen to him. You know, is it is it going to be something where he has to miss a game or two? And I think that's what people were worried about. Now, the flip side we always say on that is, if he gets through the first five rounds at one twenty, you're probably going to trade him in. Yeah. And the likelihood of him copping a massive knock and 
and aggravating and Correct. it's still there. So um, that's what makes it really, really tricky. I think, again, at this point in time, we're still you know a month away from, from round one. We yep. just have to keep our ear to the ground, listen to what comes out of the club. Clearly, if he's playing in scratch matches um, at the Giants, that's a really positive sign. If he's not, you know, read into that what you will. But I think we can't just put a line through him no. because he's got such good scoring potency that it can really set us up for success if we jump on board. And I don't have the concern that if he's on the park, he's going to play a different role to just sort of get eased into the season. I just think the way he plays his game, it's about hard running. It's about linking up. He's more about outside, using the yeah. Ball well, again, exactly. So... You can't strike him, but I do understand people just going, what's my backup plan here if this guy doesn't get up? Because it's just an injury that we don't see often at all. And it's an awkward amount of time before round one where it's like, is it enough time? Is it not enough time? What do we need to see? Will we even get a chance to Mm. see it? So we just have to, I think, hold, settle for a little bit and see what comes out. And, and then make a decision and maybe at least have a backup plan if he doesn't get up. I think that's probably the best case scenario for coaches, isn't it, is to go, okay, what's your backup plan? Is it a guy that's got the same buy round? Um, we did this player on the 50 most relevant. We had the Phantom in, and he talked about Tom Stewart as a viable option, same buy round. You'd think, again, barring injury, he's going to be in that conversation of a top five to six defender across the formats. Certainly doesn't possess the same style of ceiling um, that a Lockie Whitfield does, but does give you a great scoring consistency base to build off. And so, okay, well, maybe that's the guy that's your backup plan and you pocket yourself 100-odd K, depending on the format, and now you can re-divert that funds elsewhere if for whatever reason. But like I keep coming back to with Lockie. I get why people go, well, he's injury-prone, so I can't pick him now. But they're just odd injuries that they're all unrelated um prior to the past 24 months he'd had almost 36 months of injury free football Uh, so it's a hard one for me i go his ceiling is so good that i don't want to go against him for a full season he's gonna have the ability to do the aerobic and athletic work that's required to keep that fitness base up and again he's done most of the preseason so that's positive for us through there all there's plenty of upside in him the question will be what do you need to see in the preseason to start him and what are those markers is it an intra-club match is it something coming out from their medical staff is it to play the amy community series like what is the marker you need to have to be able to justify selecting him and then absolutely go for it if he doesn't meet that criteria i'm curious on your take on this kane i'm often known for saying if they've got an injury history and the reason you don't start a player is because of that poor injury history, you shouldn't upgrade to them because the variable increases of them copying that injury mid-season and you miss the good scores. Does Lockie Whitfield for you fit under that same criteria because of the uniqueness of all these injuries? Or is there something different at play? Well, it has to be considered, MJ. I, I just want to refresh people that what you mean by that is if you know, a player like Lockie Whitfield who really, if you look at his numbers, let's just say is likely going to miss between two or three games a year on average. Mm-hmm. Clearly, every round that goes past and he hasn't missed a game, he's more likely to miss them because history says he's going to miss two or three. So I think that's what 
Yes. You know, people sometimes get confused by, you know, what do you mean they're more likely to miss? You know, it's a Nat Fife is probably where this rule came from. Isn't yeah. Because he's never played every game. Uh, you know, if your weight gets around 11, he still hasn't had it, you're probably going to have to cop an injury because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I think the main thing with Whitfield is the scoring power is so good that if you miss the run, mm. now you've got multiple things that are an issue. You've got the points you've lost, clearly. Yep. You've got the price tag that it's now going to be. Like he's the type of guy that can put 100K on his price tag, yeah. which is scary when you're already paying premium Top dollar feels, yeah. And now you've got an injury concern that you could be bringing into your side, which again, could cost you another trade. Whereas the people that started him, you know, they haven't burned a trade because they had him from the outset. Yeah, the thing that comes back to me, MJ, simply is when there's a guy that I think is clearly in the top six in his line, yep. who also has the potential to be the guy in the line, that's someone that I want in my side as much as possible. Yeah. Yes, as we talk about a hot start, we have to consider a slow start. You know, that's just how these things work out. But if that's the case, I'm probably giving up 80 to 100K on the person that can bring him in you know, at the perfect time. But on the flip side, I'd rather be, you know, hoping for the big scores with his with his ability than playing it the other way and, and less scrambling. But I know some people, you know, are wired differently. Yeah. And they'll want to and they'll see different things and that's obviously perfectly fine. Yeah, look, if you want to know what that early fixture for GWS looks like, it's a home game against St Kilda. They head over to Optus Stadium against the Dockers. Then they head down to Monica Oval against the Demons for a quote-unquote home game. They track to the G to take on Collingwood. Sydney's probably where they get their first potential notable tagger in terms of history and who's been able to slow down Lockie Whitfield. That's at the SCG. Then back to Marnica against the Western Bulldogs over in round seven to South Australia to take on the Adelaide Crows. And then just to wrap up the first eight games, home against the Essendon Football Club. So no real big, you know, outside of the Swans games where you go, Oh, there's a tagger that's coming their way. He's clearly never going to have to worry about Matt DeBoer, so that's a good sign for him through there. But again, trends change in the game in season. Clubs have had off-seasons to be able to adjust and change, and GWS, for one, have had a drastic change to that back line. They need to adjust that midfield. What that looks like, I'm fascinated to see, and equally fascinated, Kane, to see where he goes on draft day. I think in part, how early he goes will be linked to this one thing. When you do your draft and what his injury status is, he's clearly going to be someone's D1, but where do you think he's going to go on draft day, Kane? Yeah, I think he's probably, MJ, anywhere from about... You know, if, we, you know, if we're talking a normal 10, 10 sure. team league, I think he's probably between 7 to 10 for people. Yep. Um, we have to knock him for the durability in a draft because as we know in a salary cap we can use that cash to get a like for like in draft you're usually going to your bench or even worst case the waiver wire mm. where from someone of Lockie's ability we're talking probably anywhere from 40 points um, drop off so we have to penalise him for that but as I said the scoring power is so good um, and especially if he's going to miss a couple of games in the middle of the year and it's not the final four when you really really need him um, the guy that can win you a grand final, that's for sure. So for me, um, he's not he's not, not on Lloyd's 
here purely due to durability. Sure. Um, you have to give Lloyd the nudge on that. I think the two key rucks everyone has going one and two, and, and rightfully so. They're so dominant in their line. Um, so he's probably in the mix with those top two or three mids that people may have. I think Lockie Neal's um, consensus around there, clearly he has more waiting in the super coach game, mm. but um, you know, personal preference will come into it for the next lot of mids. You know, your McRae's, your Crouches, your Kelly's, you know, yeah. Adams. There's going to be a lot of variance there. And that's probably why, for me, I'd have him at about seven because yeah. with the midfield being so even, I'd rather have a guy like Lockie who I feel really comfortable um, is top three in his line. And like I've said over and over, can challenge for number one. And if he's challenging for number one, He's probably, you know, worthy of a top three pick if everything fell your way. Where, where do you sit? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I, I wouldn't pick him ahead of Jake Lloyd, um, nor nor some top end rucks. But I would pick him before another forward is off the board. So for me, he's in that middle to late portion of the first round. Again, that might slide a little bit depending on your draft day. If there's still that question marks about the bruise lever, I I don't like taking risks in terms of injury risks. In my first round of the draft, I want bankable top-line stars that are going to be available for a really long period of time. Um, And so, yep, if someone's got a question mark about him playing round one and you're still drafting in three weeks' time, I I get why he might slide. But, yeah, for me, he's in that middle portion of that first round. Once Lloyd's off the board and you don't like any of the top-end forwards as much, that's probably where I'd be looking. So, yeah, picks five, six, seven, eight, nine. I still think it's about the right spot to take him. Uh, appreciate your thoughts today, mate, on Lockie Whitfield. No problem. If you want to go and read the article on Lock, it is online for you now at coachespanel.tv. All the other players revealed so far in the 50 most relevant, well, they are online for you to go and check out as well. Make sure if you're just jumping into your preseason, maybe you're in Melbourne lockdown life, it's going to end soon. Um, you can go and listen to all the podcast episodes. They're online via Spotify and also your Apple Podcasts and your Google Podcast. Make sure you leave a five-star rating, review, follow, subscribe, do all the stuff there to keep up to date with that. And join our Patreon supporter group. All the links for that are at coachespanel.tv. You get early access to these podcast episodes and a bunch of other exclusive articles and opportunities. I believe even Kane just the other day for one of our lucky Patreons, uh, you might have spent a good, what was like half an hour, just a one-on-one video chat, pretty much just touching base with them and helping them out with their side. Yeah, absolutely. You know, MJ, we we don't just talk fantasy on the podcast with people, believe we are somewhat obsessed. So <laughs> happy to chat fantasy anytime. And um, it's always a really interesting time because we know that keeper leagues are getting there. Yes. You know, nominations in and redrafts are happening. And I think we start getting enough information where we feel comfortable picking our salary cap time. So honestly, as you know, this is probably the most exciting time of the fantasy season because for the next month, no one can be proven wrong. Yeah, that's true. Um, and obviously, once the season starts, you know, we start getting the data that we really can't ignore. So, um, yeah, great time to get involved. I think everyone just loves it this time of year, don't they? Yeah, it's certainly everybody's favourite time. Unless you win the thing, then that kind of, you know, is a little bit later down the track. So, there you go. That's the kind of some of the stuff you get behind the scenes by joining the Patreon supporter group. Again, links are at coachespanel.tv. Three players left to go in the 50 most relevant. They should not shock you about who they are. Maybe even the order you've got that landed. But why are they so high in the 50 most relevant? We're going to talk about that over the next three days.